as you turn back to Ephesians <clears throat> chapter 5, we're looking at this just great section of scripture that brings with absolute clarity uh, what, what the, the, the key pillars, the key roles of husbands and wives. Uh, Ephesians 5.22, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Well, as we just read a a simple and yet straightforward passage from Scripture. As you can imagine, uh, most of the earth would uh, be in horror at some of the things that we just read. Um, we started, my wife and I, in earnest ministering together from, from day one and various things from little children, you know, in the nursery and daycare and certainly one of our favorite things was our young married bible study that we started out with and we had probably about 20 to 30 couples through the years and uh, what a blessing that was we were just a couple steps ahead of everybody else which was now that i think about it crazy at the time um, but it kept us in the word kept us all in the word uh, none of us really knew much but we knew one thing and we had all set our hearts on, on one critical component, and that was we were going to follow Scripture. And so that's what we did for three and a half years. We, we would just meet in our Bible study, and we, we would pray, and we would, we would look at marriage specifically, and we would look at what the Bible was calling us to do in marriage. And that was our, our goal, and that's what, what our mission was, and that's what we did. And as I stand here today, I'm just so grateful and so thankful that all those couples, now that I look back, have all been married for more than 25 years and are all in, in, in godly marriages and, and all intact and all that just to God's glory because they, they stayed in the scripture. Yes, there was death. Yes, there's been jobs lost. Yes, there's been moving. There's been all kinds of trials and tribulations, um, but they've kept it together, so to speak. Um, I would say they're the woke ones, 
They're the ones who know what's, what's going on, and that's because they've stayed in the word, word. The downside of that ministry, and really for the past 25 years in dealing with, with marriages and married couples, is you, know, you, you, you literally have two sinners. Um, they may be cute and handsome and charming and that kind of a thing, but they're still sinners. And that becomes irritating in real life, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and so the, the typical thing, and unfortunately, that I've seen, um, especially outside of the Bible study that, that we ran, was, was, hey, I have marriage problems. Well, okay. Who doesn't? If you don't have some problems in your marriage, then one of two things, either you're sinless or you're lying. I know you're not sinless, so we'll just keep it at that, okay? We're going to have problems. We're going to have problems. We all have problems because we sin. Now, how long you let that fuse go, right? How, 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 how you allow that to carry on, well, that's, again, up to you and how you follow the scriptures in, not keeping account of wrongs suffered, as Livy read earlier. But I hear this all the time. I, I have marriage problems. Of course, we didn't follow God's word in our foundation of our marriage. So fix my problems. Okay, well, um, I don't fix problems. So let's turn to scripture and let's follow God's word and follow what God. Well, well, I don't want to do that. Of course, nobody says it that way, right? They just turn and point the finger to the other person, all the things that they're wrong and say, fix them. And, and we don't really want to follow and submit to scripture to fix those problems. And so they leave with, I have marriage problems. All that to say, we, we have a dilemma in the world. Our, our dilemma is we, we refuse to yield to scripture. It, it's, it's in plain view. It's in simple language. You don't need to know Hebrew or Greek to know how to follow God's wisdom, God's instructions. Uh, I asked the 10-year-old boys uh, this Friday, um, what is love? So you've got six, you know, 10-year-old boys. What is love? And their, their first response, pretty universal, was, ew. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's pretty, yeah, they got it. <laughs> no. <laughs> but <clears throat> they, they started out with, 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 you know, typical things. And, but see, that the, the problem is none of their ideas or definitions were, were God's. We, we start out by reading 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. What is love? Love is patience. Love is kind. Love does not brag, is not arrogant, right? Does not seek its own, does not keep accounts of wrong suffered. Well, that's what love is. See, lo love is action. Love is not feeling. Love is not pretty. Um, love is these action as defined by God. Now, the world never defines love that way. 
never personifies it that way in a movie or a cartoon, right? It's always, you know, something else, something very superficial. Well, maybe that's why we have a misunderstanding of, of what love is. And, you know, when you fall in love, maybe you don't actually get, you know, Twitter pated and all the birds and the animals start singing and dancing and, you know, twirling around your head forever and ever. Um, that may be a feeling or a piece of, of falling in love, but that's not the definition of love. We, we, we have a massive culture shift right now, right? Part of that massive culture shift is, is an overemphasis on, on feelings. Of course, we, we start with a, maybe a, a sterile emphasis on, you know, just the facts, right? Just, just, just give me the facts, you know, or, or it comes out in a marriage, you know, just who's right and who's wrong? Well, that's not... That's not a relationship either. So it's, it's not just facts. It's definitely not just feelings. So what is it? Well, it's, it's, it's faith. It's faith. Faith in what? Faith in following God and God's blueprint. I love the definition of faith. And again, the biblical defini definition of faith. The biblical definition of faith is assurance of things hoped for. That's not how I normally would have thought of faith, right? Assurance, a sure thing is faith. That's what biblical faith is. The assurance, I have assurance. I'm sure of the things hoped for. If I follow Christ, if I follow his word, if, if I follow what love is, I will have great relationships. I will have a blessed marriage. I have assurance in that. I have hope in that. And then the second piece of that is conviction. So I have assurance in the things that I can't see in, and then conviction, a conviction of these things that I can't even see. So, so, so I stand firm on my definition of marriage, not the world's. The world's definition is going to change and it's going to come and go, right? And they're going to redefine it. And what's woke one day is, you know, not the next. No, not God's word. God's word's going to be sure, steady and strong. And so I can have assurance of things hoped for and a strong conviction in the things I can't see. What can I see? I can't see the future. I, I, I can't see what's going to happen if. Well, I know what God says. If I follow his blueprint, if I follow his layout, then I will be blessed. But see, the, the world wants to redefine it. And again, we've been talking about this. It goes back to the garden. It goes back to Satan's tactics. No, 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 no. You can't trust God's blueprint. So, so you can't have assurance in, in, in following God's ways. You, you, you can't have conviction. That's, that's, come on. That's, that's old school. That's, that's the way they used to think. Well, we have, a, we have a new game. And so, you know, we've been playing a lot of games. And it's like, you know, the beauty of games is they have rules. The rules are what makes the game fun. It's also like you can't change the rules. If you change the rules, you change the game. So imagine starting out with, you know, a chess board and 
you've got all the different kinds of pieces and they can move in different ways and you have turns and you have all these rules that are designed to make the game fun and, and organized. Well, just imagine, well, we're just going to change what the pieces can do. We're, we're, we're going to change them. And now, you know, you have one queen that can kind of do anything, you know, now the, well, I want my pawns to do that too. And you just change the game in the middle of the game, by the way. It ruins the game. It doesn't make it better. It ruins the game. And more particular, it's a different game. If you want to change God's word, then you're changing the religion. You're changing the definition of marriage. The definition of marriage comes from the Bible. So if it's anything other than a biblical definition of marriage, then call it something else. Because this is what marriage is. This is what marriage is based on. Marriage is based on, on, on a couple simple fundamental principles. He will lead me and I will die for her. He will lead me and I will die for her. That, that's kind of our starting point. Um, it's simple. And so today we're going to look at just five ways that a husband... Um, loves their wives five ways that husbands love their wives and this is the key as christ loved the church as christ loved the church in first corinthians 11 1 we see paul making this great statement follow me you might think whoa that's that's um kind of arrogant he says no follow me as I follow Christ. And, and the idea behind follow there is, is imitate. Imitate, in essence, imitate Christ. We're imitators of Christ. Not each other. I love you guys. And I love a lot of different things and different skills and qualities that you have. But I don't want to imitate everything, and I don't want you to imitate everything in me. We imitate Christ, and we're at our best when we're imitating Christ in being kind and forgiving and, and patient, right? That, that, that's when you go, yeah. Well, that's only because we're ref a reflection of God's word at that point. And so the five ways that we're going to see here in, in chapter 5 are, of 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 husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. First, it's a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love. Second, it's a purifying love. Third, it's a holy love. Fourth, a tender love. And then fifth, a unifying love. And we're probably only going to cover two or three of them today, so uh, don't fear. We're we're going to kind of make sure we don't rush through this. Again, our background, we've been studying Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, um, you know, we, we've learned, starting in verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another. We're, we're, we're subject to one another. We're in subjection to one another as to the Lord. 
our, our subjection to each other really has nothing to do with the other person. In all honesty, it has to do with Christ. So first, before you see that other person, person you should see Christ. And it should be a reminder, I've got to treat this person like Christ. So imagine if you're looking at somebody and the way you're getting ready to speak to them and treat them is going to go through the reflection or the, you know, of Christ. You would say things differently, wouldn't you? You, you would treat them differently. Well, that, that we're, we're supposed to be subject to each other. But as to the Lord, he's the object of the subjection. He's the object of the subjection. So again, look, there, there's, no, there's no superiority. There should be no superiority complex. The only reason why we have that is because somebody's planted the seed. Somebody got in the ear, right? Somebody told Eve. Somebody told wives, you can't be subject to your husbands. That's not going to work. He won't treat you right. The end result of that will be bad. That, that's the lie. That's not God's roadmap. That's the liar's roadmap. We know in Scripture from the beginning that, that there's, there's no superiority in individual people. We're male and female. In fact, Galatians 3.23 says, look, there's neither Jew or Gentile. There's neither barbarian or Roman or, or free or slave or male or female. We're, we're all people. Just there's the whole concept and idea of, of, of racism and that kind of, we're all people. We're, we're all one race. I mean, it sounds funny, but we're all the human race. Um, I spent some time in my younger faith in, a, in an all-black church in South Central L.A. It's the craziest thing. You know, it's like you go like this, right? And it's like, huh, their hands are whiter than my hands. It's just a pigment. It's pig. That, that's all it is. It's silly. But we get caught up in these things. Why? Because the little, the little voice has told us. Um, Take sides. Be individuals. We, we, we have vital roles. We have vital roles that 1 Corinthians 12 is laid out. And in the body of Christ, we have ears and eyes. And, okay, you know, nobody here wants to, like, give up their eyesight, right? Because they love to listen to music. Nobody wants to give up their mouth for their nose. No, we want all those things. We embrace all those individual special gifts. And then God has manifested in us spiritual gifts and skills that are good for, for the, the community and the benefit of the body of Christ. That's why we're called the body of Christ. It, it's one body. It all matters. It's all good stuff. Isn't it weird how especially some of us are getting older and it's like, little weird things start to hurt and bother you. It's like, and those things matter. They matter. Everything matters. It's like, man, you know, you, when you sprain something, it's like, it's so weird. I didn't even think my thumb was important until you sprain it. You know, you realize it's all important. So there's no, there's no superiority. We all have vital roles. Why? To complete each other to complete each other. They say opposites of attract. 
different skill sets come together and make better. If I wanted somebody just like me, well, that wouldn't be any good. I'd starve, first of all. Um, So we see clearly in verse 22, wives, and we studied this, wives, submit to your husbands. This is just part of the, of, of the, of the role. Totally unqualified statement. Not wives, submit to your husbands if, wives, be subject to your husbands unless there's no qualification here. That's what you do. That's what you do. It's on him. It's on him if he abuses or violates that. It's on you, though, to fulfill this and allow the Lord to work through it. He will let you down because he's a sinner. But as we'll see, he should be fighting like crazy to not let you down. Why? Because husbands... Or the head of the wife. They have, they have an important role in headship, just like any leader does, just like the, the chief of the fire department does. It, it, it's, it's a role. Husbands then are to love their wives. Not kind of like, I love this phrasing here, not maybe, it's just as Christ. You're to love them exactly like Christ. You are to imitate Christ, Jesus. So husbands, your role in leadership then begins by doing it like Jesus. We've been studying how did Jesus lead? Servant leadership. Jesus was a servant leader yielding himself into subjection to mankind to give him, to give us his everything. What a beautiful picture of leadership. But again, the little voice, eh, he's not doing such a great job. Do you know what he, he did this, 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 and this. Um, have some patience. Have some understanding. Keep no account of wrongs suffered. Be willing to hope in all, bear all, and endure all, right? That's the definition of love. Um, patient is long suffering. Patient sounds so much, it's like, it's like you know, the, the word, you know, surreal. You, you hear this all the time now. Never heard that word before. And all of a sudden, about five years ago, it's like, Every time you hear, you know, anybody gets interviewed, you know, how, how does that feel? Oh, it's so surreal. It's like, do you know what that means? They just, they just make a statement for like, I don't know. That was crazy. It's cool. It means anything. Well, patience has kind of done the same thing. Be patient. What does that mean? It's just like this thing we just say. Oh, be patient. Be. It means be long suffering Remove patience from your dictionary. Only use long-suffering. When you think of that person, go, I will suffer for a long time with them. Now that takes on a different 
tone, doesn't it? Now I'm like, that one, that one's a little bit harder, especially after your 20 and 30 and 40 years of, you want to know what long is? We got some people in the room that haven't been married a year yet. They don't know what long means. No idea. I've got shirts older than some people in this room that are married. <laughs> Had it a long time and I'm not getting rid of it anytime soon either. <laughs> suffer, 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 suffer for a long time. Well, that doesn't sound right. Well, that's what God says. If you want to love that person, if you want to have an enduring love, then, then you're going to have to have that as a mindset. Well, I was listening to this interview. Well, what you're saying is if, if notice the twist of the words and the phrasing. If, if a woman is to submit to her husband, then she gives authority to her husband. Well, that's oppression. That's, that's tyrannical. That's, you know, they're, they're forcing me. See how the words escalate and get like more aggressive and more aggressive. Um, and the guy being interviewed was like, well, do you think this is authoritarian and aggressive that if my wife was in the south side of Chicago and she said, oh, I'm going to go for a little 2 a.m. stroll in the, you know, through, through the city. And if I said, honey, um, you're not doing that. Is that oppression? The answer, yes. Because you're demanding. You're, you're exerting your authority. That, that's abusive. That's oppressive. It's restrictive. It's like, wow, now that's okay. I, I, I am getting some clarity here. Is if you redefine words like protection and wisdom with oppression which is exactly what Satan does. He twists and turns words ever so gently. Well, then they become evil. Submission is just an evil word, right? Well, today, if you, you say submission, you just might as well say enslavement. And that's pretty much the worst thing you can say, which ironically, the Bible doesn't back away from. You know why? Because we're called to be slaves of righteousness. We are slaves. We are bond servants, willing slaves to follow God's law. And make no mistake, you're a slave. It's just a question of who you're following. Who is your master? Who, who's your daddy? You may think because you don't want the God, the Father, or the Bible, that you're your own man. You are so foolishly mistaken. So husbands are called then to love. We already looked at the definition of love. Love is patient, kind, right? Doesn't brag, doesn't boast, doesn't keep accounts of wrongs suffered. We also know that included in that is Galatians. When we look at the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You combine those in there. It's like, listen, husbands, this is what you're supposed to do with your wife and your leadership to the perfection of Jesus Christ. Who doesn't want that guy? So that would be a pretty good guy, right? Guys, we have a very high bar, a very high bar. 
That's the expectation that your wife should have for you, which means that's our goal. That's our goal. You know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, football and the NFL, and they're getting, they're, they're building up right now in a couple weeks, and it's going to be the Super Bowl. The only goal is to win the Super Bowl. That's it. That's it. Everybody else loses the last game. The Super Bowl winner. Our, our goal is to win the prize, the trophy, guys. That's our goal. And it's okay for our wives to say, hey, um, hey let, let's, let's read this tonight. Instead of, you know, watching something on TV, let, let's just, you know, let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And then let's do it. Let's keep each other accountable to that. And then work on it day after day, year after year. That's the benchmark. The benchmark, the benchmark for this husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church is Christ is the word. We, we can't move forward unless you understand that because then our, our example doesn't matter because you don't care about the example. You're blowing the example off. You can't. So verse 25, we see just a little bit, the first part of how does Christ love the church? Well, first it begins with a sacrificial love, a sacrificial love. He gave himself up for her. Jesus gives himself up for the church. Um, again, we're imitators of Jesus. He's the standard. He sets the standard. Notice that they didn't bring any biblical examples. You know, we're pretty far into the Bible now and in the history of the Bible, and we could have used a lot of different guys who've been married. No. No. There could have been a brand new guy that we don't even know. This cute couple that the Bible just, you know, in the church of Ephesus that, oh, you know, this, you know, you know, the, uh, the Smiths, they're a sweet couple. Be like them. No. The, the imitation is of Christ, and, and, and it's as he loved the church. Well, what did Jesus do for the church? Yeah, it's just a little thing. You know, came out of heaven, died on the cross, paid for our sins. You know, just a normal Friday night. No big deal. Um. No, it was a sacrificial life. He gave himself up. The starting point, the starting point, which absolutely blows our mind, is how the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, which is one, Jesus, the Son, Emmanuel, God with us, is incarnate. The Word becomes flesh. What did he sacrifice? Philippians says he emptied himself. He emptied himself. There's no conceit. There's no pride. There's no arrogance. Do you know who Jesus is? Notice here in verse 25, and we, we always need to, to make note of it. It's, it's not just as Jesus loved the church. It's just as Christ loved the church. Christ is king. The Messiah, the king, died for his people, for his subjects. 
the Messiah sacrificially gave his pride. He empties his crown to become a slave and a servant, giving up his titles, his power, his authority, his prestige, his position, his comfort. I, I, I can't even explain that, how, how that process happened. It's unexplainable. That, that God became flesh. That Jesus says at 100% of the time is 100% man and 100% God. That's, that's, that's a mystery. That's miraculous. That that's what our God did for us. And to do what? To exert power. To wield the sword. No, Jesus did not come to destroy, but he came to seek and save. And how did he save? Again, through sacrifice. Through sacrifice. But it began, it, it begins with, with the emptying. It begins with the humility. That's the, the starting point for all of us. We all have to humble ourselves like Jesus. There's a, a, a book, but, and they made a movie out of it, but it's, it's Gail Sayers. He's a famous football player, and it was called I Am Third. I am third. And it was God, family, friends, right? And he tied himself in there. So the first and most important thing in his life was, was God. And then family. And then his friendships. He, he understood that he was not the most important person on the earth. Um, so it was a beautiful picture. And so we have to start there. And then what kind of sacrifice did Jesus do? Was it a normal sacrifice? No. Again, not only does he empty himself and give up his crown, but to the point of death. And I, and I love kind of the emphasis and even the, the little bit of the sarcasm here in Philippians 2, 5, and have this attitude. So it begins with an attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We imitate Jesus. We're to have this attitude. Although we exist in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. While he's here on earth, he was on a mission in his humanity to shed his blood, to pay the price for our sins. So, verse 7, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, of a slave, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. And I love this phrase, by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. As to say, can you imagine dying on a... You know why the, you know why the cross was invented? So, so the Romans were ruthless. Ruthless invaders, ruthless imperialists. They, they, they would go into a, to a town, they'd go into a country, and they would dominate the people, and, and they wanted to make sure that there wouldn't be any like uprising, right? And so if you did something political, you did something that was you know, against the, the, the Roman government, they were going to make an example of you so that everyone could see, you know who's in charge? 
Rome's in charge. And they wanted everybody in the town to see the humiliation of this, this person. And they would put him on the cross so that, and they would put him like right down Kent Kangley so that everybody's going to go by Kent Kangley at four corners, right? Everybody would see that person on the cross. What a fool who would go against the Roman Empire and would take them a couple days to die in doing it. It was a public humiliation and it was a painful act. It was a torturous act. So when it says, not only did Jesus die, but even on a cross, the, the humiliation, the agony, verse 9, Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, the name of Jesus, which every knee should bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's our example. He's our example. But here's the thing. Uh, turn to Hebrews 9. <clears throat> the idea of dying may sound brave and heroic, and it is. Make no mistake. Um, but we need to get it right. Hebrews 9.23 Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleared, cleansed, with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one. So the, the tabernacle where the, the sacrifice was made for the payment and the atonement of sins. That was just a, a copy of the true one, which was going to be this literal sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But in the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood, not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And in as much as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once, once to bear the sins of many, shall appear for a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Why did Jesus die? He did not die to protect the disciples or his family from the Roman soldiers. He did not die because there was some imminent danger that was in their path. He died to sacrifice himself to bear the sins for salvation. There was a purpose to this sacrifice. So here's what we can't miss. This is what we can't miss. That when we imitate Christ in our love for our wives, 
it's not that we're just willing to just die for them. We are called to help in their salvation process. That's the goal. The goal is to protect from sin. If, if it could be to cover sin. That's the point of Jesus offering himself. He was offering himself to carry the load of sin. Romans 9, 1 through, through 3, Paul says, I, I could wish myself accursed. I, if, if I could be cursed, I would save my people. He, he was willing, if he could, to die. Why? To save his people, the Jews, from sin. That's the kind of sacrifice. That's the purpose and the point is for salvation. It's not just some macho thing. Because that's what we hear all the time, right? The, the rebuttal, the wives, you need to you know, submit to your husbands. Yeah, because I'll die for you. If, if, if they come down the road, I'll die for you. That's not the point. You, you may have to protect your family, but that's not the point. The point is to be willing to sacrifice your life for their salvific, hard to say, benefit. So the sacrifice is even harder than you can think. It's not a one-time death. It's, it's death by a thousand blows, right? It's sacrifice your daily self. That's what Jesus really did. From the beginning of his presence on earth as a baby, which blows my mind. It, it, it's, it's a yielding of himself to be willing to sacrifice himself, but he sacrifices not just his blood, sweat, and tears in life, but he sacrifices everything, every little inch, every little step, every little piece. That's what we're called to do in this sacrificial life of giving ourselves up for her. Yes, all the way to the point of death. But it starts with, are you humble? Are, are you humble? Um, do you think you're something that you're not? You're, you're not the show. Christ is the show. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Not jealous. Does not brag. And... Here's a double whammy and is not arrogant. Husbands, you're not called to brag or, brag or be arrogant. Arrogance kind of the way you look, right? It's on your face. It's the worst part. You know, you, at a point in your marriage, your wife just knows. She knows. She knows what you're thinking. She knows your attitude. She knows it's kind of like the cane thing. Pun intended. Your countenance is bad and it's noticed and it's seen and she can see it. And part of that is, you know, you, you, you're acting so proud and arrogant because you think you're right. We'll just talk about that one. And you're bragging about how many times you've been right. 
And you've, you've memorized this. So it says, don't keep accounts of wrongs suffered. So I'm going to keep account of all of the good things I did. Totally different list. It's the same list. It's just a different way of saying it, right? No, you're not to brag. You're not to be arrogant. See, love does not act unbecomingly, and it doesn't seek its own. The basis for the sacrificial love, it doesn't seek its own. In that it doesn't seek its own, it yields to the other. And so the husband is called to sacrificially do everything he can on behalf of his wife. That's an awesome love. And if you need to know the standard, it's to the utter perfection of Jesus. Man, so not only do I have to like follow this list, but I have to do it well. Yes, yes. And wives, you may keep your husbands accountable for doing this. Sweetie, um, maybe not so kind. <laughs> and wives, in reciprocation, What's the respect? What are we talking about when we say respect? We're talking about salutes. We're talking about verbal praises. The respect is, give me this. Bear all things. Bear with it. Bear with me, right? Believe all things. Have some belief in me. Have some belief in me. Hope in all things. Hope that... I am going to do better and work things out and take care of us. Endure all things. And be in this with me till the end. That's the respect. See, we, we give and take in this love thing, right? If you do this, you're going to be more than fine. If you don't, it only takes a little bit. Only takes a little bit. How, how much, you know, some of you get up in the morning and drink delicious coffee. How much poison do you want to put in that before it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be good. I won't put any in there, right? Well, don't allow sin to creep in. You, we, we fight sin with God's word. And you know what? We're going to get caught in Stumbling, and then you know what we do? We, we, we fight against that by repenting. By repenting. You catch yourself in the middle of that. Okay, I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. They're not helping me, but I'm wrong. I need to do what's right. I, I am going to submit to Scripture, and I'm going to sacrificially, humbly put myself out there first. That's leadership. That's headship. Christ didn't walk around bragging. Christ didn't walk around saying how awesome I am. He, he, he just did these things. And now here we are in the, in the wake, in the ripple. And, and, and that's our standard. And so as we move forward, 
I want you guys to, to meditate on, on this passage, to meditate on, uh, on your roles, and, and to be reminded these are not suggestions. That, that this is God's blueprint. This is God's blueprint, not a suggestion. And it's never too late to, to start doing the right thing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, again, 